Hello and welcome to podcast number three, episode three. I'm going to start calling them episodes, I think, from here on in. Um, thank you for joining me again. Um, and we're on iTunes. We're live on iTunes. How exciting. So if you are joining us for the first time through iTunes, hi, hope you're having a wonderful day. Hope my podcast can help you to and from work or traveling. If you're lucky enough to be going on holiday, then enjoy your holiday. Um, but yes, that's kind of the places where I listen to my podcasts. Um, as I say, I'm a massive fan of a lot of a lot of podcasts and we'll talk about and I'll link to some down the line. But anyway, welcome. Um, I'm going to slightly veer off my normal format. We're going to jump back in and I want to talk about uh, the whys and wherefores again and getting to being where I am now. Um, I may not deal with things in so much detail this time. I may just jump through periods of time because there are periods that just are kind of, I was at work and then I went home. So I don't want to do too much of that um, because I want to get up to speed fairly quickly now. And I will be going back to parts of my history as we go through and especially when I talk to other guests about their experiences of coming out. So I will kind of go a bit more in depth with that stuff when we get to that point. So forgive me if there are slight uh, holes in time periods um, as I just want to keep moving and as we get closer to who I am now uh, it, we don't need to delve into that into quite so much detail I think so anyway thanks for joining us um, this as I say I'm veering off slightly I did want to say I've had uh, it's been a, a strange old January um, it's been <laughs> I'm sure we've all experienced it's been very grey um, and there's been a few days of sunshine. I went for a run this morning and uh, was listening to a podcast as I run, which I also do. And it was about mindfulness. And the sun was shining at that point, And I felt really, really positive. If I'm hearing, you know, a positive podcast whilst running, the day usually starts well. And that's how I begun the day. It's now slightly greyer again. Anyway, this is not a weather forecast. So, um, so yes, yeah, so January has been, been quite grey for us all, I think. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I've had um, a few days of work here and there. It's been a bit sparse, if I'm honest. Um, I The most interesting thing I did, and I made a couple of new friends doing a job for um, for a radio station, which will remain unnamed for now because for, for legal reasons, um, I'm not really allowed to uh, release those details until there's something more. It's basically uh, a business-to-business -business photo shoot, and then there will be stuff that will appear. Um, and as and when it's out there in the world for you to see on uh, billboards or wherever, then I will let you know. But anyway, um, I had a great day, and it was in a in a in a very famous uh, rock stars goth stars house. Um, again, I can't reveal any details, but it was very very exciting. I didn't know I was going to to be in that house, and it was fascinating. Uh, a look into one of my heroes, in fact, one of their lives. But, uh, well, that will never be revealed because that would not be good business. But anyway, um, so uh, that's been good. And I made a couple of friends there. And it's kind of those jobs where you kind of go and think this is just going to be a day. And I really, really, really enjoyed myself. And so hello to the ladies who I hope will listen to this uh, via our Facebook friendship anyway. So, yes, so thank you for coming back. Um, I've, I'm making a film. In fact, uh, next weekend I'm making a short film 
called Limbo, which again, I will rele uh, release more details when that is out in the world. And uh, it's quite, quite good fun. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting the cast this weekend and before me the following weekend. I'm going out to Edinburgh to do some uh, some training of actors to be teachers, uh, which is one of the other things I do, uh, teaching English language. So I get to have a few days in Edinburgh, which will probably be cold, but usually it's been sunny at this time of year. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so that's just kind of keeping you up to speed of where I am now. I thought I might as well. Um, but yes, so let's just jump straight back in to the story, the story. I keep calling it a story, but it's not a story. It's it's my life. But uh, I'm using the word story for now just to kind of keep it cohesive, shall we say. Um, oh, I must say as well, I did promise I would. Um, I've confirmed some guests and uh, I'm uh, recording with a few people over the next few weeks. Um, and it's people from the LGBT community at this moment uh, are the people I'm focusing on and I have some interesting interviews coming up people who work in the industry with me at the moment um, I am going to veer out of just entertainment and acting eventually and out of LGBT um, but yeah so things to look forward to um, so yes oh, and also just to say I'm still on SoundCloud so don't forget if you don't use iTunes because some people don't then you can still find me on SoundCloud at the same place. So, yeah, we were talking about me being expelled. I was expelled from school and how I wasn't proud of it. Actually, at the time, I was... I think I wore... At the time, I was super proud of it. It was a badge of honour. Um, I was... I thought I was a... I was a bad boy. Um, and uh, it, I was... I'd been not inspired to be expelled because you don't because I was just doing what the reason I was doing it as we've said before was because I was frustrated and confused and trying to deal with uh, with being a gay man teenager at that point so uh, but the byproduct of that was that I I was able to to be a to, to be a bad boy to be a bad goth <laughs> well new romantic still kind of crossing over at this point um so anyway i'm gonna speed up a little bit because I, I i was i was at the point where my parents said they were dismayed my mother in tears when i got home and she'd had the phone call saying that i'd been expelled um and i was expelled i was not even yet 16 16th birthday wasn't far away and i was invited to go back to school uh, to do exams they did say i could go back and, and take exams but i said no it in retrospect it was a mistake but at that point there was no way i was heading back into the world of school or education which i did not that long after which we'll get to so my parents said here's the deal you need to either man up and get a job or get out now i'm not sure to this day if they would have actually ever physically thrown me out um because i had a couple of months uh where i once had got to the 16th birthday where i signed on i went on the dole um just because i had to bring some money in but that didn't last too long um as i say i went and got a job and i got a job in a co-op the co-op is a supermarket for listeners outside of the uk i was working in a supermarket and there's nothing wrong with working in a supermarket at all um, but I was in the butchery department 
And I experienced my first taste of homophobia from an adult in this particular book tree department of this supermarket. So here's what happened. I was, I started the job um, and first few days, the other, the, the, the main butcher, the head butcher, didn't speak to me and I thought he's just, he's just not talkative. But he did tend to growl when I walked past and not in a, in a sexy way, just in a, I'm going to chop you up with my meat cleaver way. Um, so I did feel a little bit uncomfortable. And then things were muttered under the breath, under his breath. Um, and to this day, I'm still not quite sure, but they would, it was, it, I could tell it wasn't very pleasant. So I wasn't particularly comfortable. And I suppose I was, for him, I was trying to dress in, I was trying to dress like my heroes, all my music heroes at this point, um, and was an alternative teenager. And he didn't like that, didn't take to that at all. Um, to the point where I turn on a radio to listen to music to break the painful silence. And he would switch it off not long afterwards. And so we had this battle with the radio. He'd leave the room and I'd turn it on or turn it up a bit. Uh, to cover the embarrassment but yeah eventually he'd turn it off again so we went through this battle and then one day i came into work and i discovered a pig's trotter in my overalls i later discovered from somebody else who'd worked in butchery that that used to be a sign of one butcher not liking another by putting a pig's trotter in your overalls for, for you to find in the morning which was a pleasure a joy um and he did this a few times over a period of a few weeks and I, I realized it was on purpose uh, and there was a, a another guy who worked uh, in the supermarket who was mates with the main butcher who was a bit older quite a bit older than me and I would walk into a room and they'd be laughing and then they'd stop and it was very awkward and then this other guy not the main butcher the other guy did did occasionally say things like what have you dressed up as today? I mean, obviously I could only get away with so much, but my hair was coloured and... Yeah, anyway. Um, so, I, clearly I didn't stay in that job particularly long. And that was, so that was my first taste of, of adult homophobia. I'm calling it homophobia. He could just have been a nasty man, but uh, there were... I know there were comments about about being gay. The, some of the stuff that I did get from his mutterings. Anyway, so that was that was taste one. Um, I had a friend who worked there, Rosie. She was also in the marching band. Now, it, I did. I'm not going to go on about marching bands because I do sound like uh, I, I a band geek. If I was in the US, I would have been a band geek, um, and I suppose I was. But uh, one time at band camp, um, the famous quote. But yes, I, I I was I stuck with it for a while. But I realised about this point that officially it wasn't cool and music was starting to take a real uh, a real place in my life um, and I was thinking about trying to join bands and I, I did search in local papers for bands but usually it required a singer who also played the guitar and I didn't play the guitar I played brass instruments it's not particularly rock and roll maybe it is a bit now since the world of steampunk steampunk related music I could probably use brass and then of course earth wind and fire and cool in the gang and those things um but uh i, I didn't get a chance to audition for any of them so music took a, a, a big role and i started to kind of immerse myself in that even more so i left the i left the marching band handed everything in moved on 
Um, probably not necessarily the right idea at that point, but anyway, I did it. Now, I'm going to talk a bit about the music because this is really important to to me and and to seeing me through the the the, the early years of being a young gay man. Um, on my 16th birthday, I'm going to jump to there because it comes to mind. I went to uh, my first proper gig at Wembley Stadium, and it was Elton John. And this is in the days of I'm Still Standing, and I guess that's why they call it the blues and all those classic tracks. And he was wearing a straw boater, which I also bought one for myself and wore in Wembley Stadium that very sunny day. Uh, and it was 1984. I can, so I'm not great with dates, but that one I know I remember, and I still have the program hidden away somewhere. Um, and there were lots of great bands supporting him. Cool and the gang, funnily enough, were one of the. And uh, Paul Young was due to play, but cancelled. Anyway, digressing. And that was also the day I bought my first packet of cigarettes. I bought 20 Benson and Hedges Gold, and I smoked them all that day in Wembley. You could still smoke in stadiums that, at that point. Uh, I think maybe you were still smoking on the tube at that point. I don't know. Anyway, I hasten to add, now I'm, I'm an occasional smoker. I smoke when I've had a few glasses of wine, and I keep it at that. I don't smoke day to day. Um, I don't have an interest, and as I get older, I realise that's not such a great idea. So I try and stay a bit healthy, i.e. I was running this morning. Um, but yes, yeah, so that was my first taste of, of nicotine, because legally I could go and buy a packet of cigarettes, so I did. Um, so this is kind of leading me to where I was doing. I was going to London a lot and staying with family in Watford, um, and I would quite often do this as birthday presents, um, early Christmas presents, and I would save a bit of money from the job, uh, from the job in the supermarket. Um, I was still thinking I was a new romantic sort of at this point, but it started to sort of mould and meld into um, to, to this slightly gothier side of my my, my tastes. Um, the Cure. I started listening to The Cure a lot. I got into U2, Simple Minds, and The Cure were three. There were I used to write U2 a lot on on uh, on any case that I had because say I had pencil cases, but they weren't much use to me at this point uh, because I wasn't in school. But uh, yeah, uh, and I remember going into an abandoned house in my street and uh, and writing it in. Uh, felt-tip pen. Taking a felt-tip pen into an abandoned house to write U2 on a wall. Anyway, U2 were cooler then. And I had a massive, I'm going to admit it, I had a massive crush on Bono. I know, I know, I know. It's a very, very strange choice. But at the time, he, I thought he was really very, quite the word, hot. I found him really attractive. Um, and also, uh, the uh, Larry Mullen, the drummer. <laughs> um, so I started to have a lot of their posters on my wall. Um, I was into Simple Minds. Uh, I thought Jim Kerr was cool, uh, the lead singer of Simple Minds. Um, and that kind of started, so the, the Cure were there, and that led me slightly away from that and into, so I started going to stadiums. That's what we were talking about, stadium rock. So I was doing stadium rock. I saw R.E.M. in their early days, supporting U2. Um, 
and uh, I saw the Bangles bizarrely supporting Simple Minds. These, those were, I saw you two in Wembley lots, lots of times. I spent a lot of money on you two, and I went used to go to Milton Keynes Bowl to see bands as well. Um, Milton Keynes, that was a day out. And, and no offence to anyone Milton Keynes, I'm sure it's lovely, but I don't know if the plastic cows are still there, but that sticks in my mind. Straight roads and plastic cows. Anyway, digressing. So, yes, goth music. Um, Susie and the Banshees, um, Bauhaus, uh, let me think, uh, Sisters of Mercy, Fields of the Nephilim, The Mission. I loved The Mission. And I started to spend money on seeing them. Those bands were a little bit cheaper to see than U2 and Simple Minds and New Model Army. Um, and then I started to sort of veer off a band called The Wedding Pre- Present, an indie band played in Ilfracum, and that sort of led me into actually going out and investigating indie music, and there was an independent record shop in Ilfracum. It was amazing. At the bottom of my street, I used to go and spend time in there and sit and talk to the guy who owned the record shop, who, again, I actually had a big crush on, but he was very cool. I was able to buy band t-shirts, t-shirts, branded t-shirts of bands in there, and I just thought I want to work in this shop for the rest of my life and just talk music. Um, it doesn't exist anymore, as far as I know, sadly. But uh, yes, he would guide me. And obviously the Smiths was playing a big part, and Morrissey, who became, who is still somebody I find absolutely fascinating. Um, and again, I did have a huge crush on, um, and posters of... Um, and say, I still listen to Morrissey's music and the Smiths' music now, and uh, it's some of the most superb. I mean, it's some of its pop, it's popular music, um, but uh, the the lyrics. He's kind of the Alan Bennett of pop for me, and we'll talk about Alan Bennett in another podcast. But he, he's a clever man. So that led me down that that route. Echo and the Bunnymen, the Primitives. Um, a Jesus and Mary Chain, these bands who I think still tour, some of them do, but they all look a little bit older, don't we all? Um, and Lloyd Cole and the Commotions. And then there was, and then there, and then there was Prince. Now Prince completely fascinated me. The first time I heard him was 1982, and I, <laughs> I remember this day. I was putting mayonnaise on my hair on a Saturday afternoon because I'd read in a magazine that uh, a good way to condition your hair, in, a, in one of my mother's magazines, I hasten to add, that uh, that women had started to put mayonnaise in their hair. There was something in the egg, I suppose, that was really good for conditioning. Um, so I would do this mayonnaise condition and then have to wash it out again quite vigorously. So I don't really know if there was any point. But, however, putting mayonnaise in my hair, listening to America's Top 100 on a Saturday afternoon, which was a fairly regular occurrence, and um, there was a, a guy called Paul Gambaccini. He's still around and uh, is, again, uh, another gay man who unknowingly influenced my tastes and my life by, by, by kind of examining. So he'd have the top 100 and then he'd do sort of a feature on someone. And, and he, he focused this one day on this guy called Prince. And I heard he played this, he played two tracks. And I believe it was a double A side of Little Red Corvette and 1999. Oh my goodness. I was just mesmerised. 
I mean, this music had electronica, I suppose you would say, so kind of an edge of new romanticism to it. Um, and um, the, the, it was very keyboard-led, but then there was rock, a real strong rock influence, and, um, and, and even a tiny bit of ska. There was a lot of stuff in there. And then this man who had this soaring voice that went from the depths to into this incredible falsetto and that was it and I was hooked and obviously this is the days before internet so I couldn't do any research so I just had to wait for an album to come out and so as soon as albums came out and I could actually buy them in Devon I just devoured them and then eventually was able to go to when I went to a city I would buy back catalogue vinyl of all of the older print stuff and just completely fell in love and still to this day as I said on my very first podcast I was completely devastated last year when Prince passed um, and uh, I I listen to his music still kind of on a weekly basis there'll be some point where I will go to a Prince, Prince track uh, just as a, a point of something to see me through a week, a day, a moment, a journey so he's still there so anyway so Prince came into my life at that point um, and, uh, so yeah, so th- there was, there was me experimenting with looks again. So obviously when I wasn't putting mayonnaise in my hair, I did actually used to put soap in my hair and that wasn't clearly not to condition it, but I'd read about certain punks were doing it or had done it in the past. And I was trying to make this flat top hairstyle because I thought guys with flat tops were cool, edgy and very attractive. And so I was trying to create this flat top, which I managed to just about do with uh, cuts and and I had a lot more hair then um, and uh, and gel. So I put soap and gel and the soap would dry and then I gel it and it didn't use to flake bizarrely. I mean, I didn't completely smother myself in soap, but soap was there. Foam up the soap, put it in, um, dry it then gel it and it would stick firm. I thought it was extremely, extremely cool. So anyway, music was happening and I, I eventually, obviously I had to leave, as I say, I left the job in the supermarket because it just wasn't, it, well, you know, I was suffering this under the, the regime of this crazy butcher. Um, and I knew it was time I needed to, I wanted to be a performer. If I wasn't gonna be in a band, I'd enjoyed theatre, as we say, at school, and I'd kind of got a real kick out of that. And I thought, maybe that's really the way forward. And I'd become very obsessed with watching comedy. I would spend lots of time devouring, recording, and then learning episodes of French and Saunders. French and Saunders came into my life at this point as well, and I adored them. And comic strip films and the young ones. And then also I was going back and rediscovering Faulty Towers and comedies of that ilk, um, Monty Python. So that stuff started to play and I really became interested in that. I didn't have, and I still don't have the guts to do stand-up, but sketch comedy I've done a bit of and I am interested in doing a bit more of down the line. Um, But anyway, digression number four, Um, So, yes, so I thought I need to go back into education. So that's where I went next. I went and uh, applied for a college in Barnstable, which is the 13 miles away town. And it was the 
the place where you could get from Barnstable back to London via two trains. And so it felt like it was connected to London via a train track. Um, so I applied, I got in, and I went on a course of pre-vocational education, which is basically for people who, like myself, had not finished because of illness, because of being expelled, um, or needed to go back and uh, get more get more behind them. I needed more qualifications. So I went back and I studied English and I studied theatre studies and uh, and I did this course. I did ge geography of tourism, interestingly, because I don't know, maybe I was being smart and thinking that if I didn't leave Devon, I could work in tourism because that's a that was a, a good option down there. Still is, I'm sure. Probably more so now. Um, so I went there and I started to meet other people, similar-minded people, people. I mean, there were definitely other gay people in the college. Um, and in the theatre studies group, there were, there was a, a guy uh, who just, I became obsessed is the wrong word, but uh, he was, he was, uh, he was everything. In a way, it was more about, I wanted to be him, not necessarily be with him, though I probably would have been happy with that too. But he was... A sort of uh, a goth stroke rockabilly so I started to adopt his style I bought blue suede shoes to go with my dark clothes and um, it was quite a mishmash Simple Minds t-shirt um, tight jeans blue suede shoes a long black leather coat um, just yeah it was all a bit of a mishmash at this point but I was happy this is the thing I was happy and I knew that I was around other like-minded people and around other gay people hence this guy in the class and uh, and we never became best friends but we always had this healthy respect for each other and there was kind of a a nod and a knowing thing that we would do to each other like I know I know where you are you know where I am and and yeah it's a shame that we never did maybe it was it was me I was a little bit too shy to be too forward and say let's be friends um but however I made loads of really good friends um in that time frame and it was a happy period of my life um and i'd go to college early i would get on a bus the man the boy who was expelled from school would go out so early in the morning i'd get up at six and get myself ready and soak my hair gel my hair and be in the college by eight o'clock in the morning and didn't have to be there till nine or nine thirty and sometimes later and i i was having a good time um and it was a regular thing that people would go to the pub at lunchtime. Students would go down to the pub at lunchtime. And there were a couple of afternoons where we didn't make it back because we were having too much time with a beer and a jukebox. Um, but it wasn't, I was not playing truant. I was able to catch up. Um, and I did, and I put the extra work in. So that was okay. But I had a couple of really good friends there um, who I spent time with outside of college there was one guy called Paul another Paul um, who lived in a place called Croyd Bay and we were really good buddies he played the piano he was obsessed with David Bowie he was very handsome as well but uh, there was uh, I don't really know why I'm saying that because uh, there was no there wasn't any kind of physical attraction for me it was just uh, yeah I really appreciated the guy and he was I thought he was cool um, and we used to I used to spend my Friday nights there and we'd go to this place called the Thatched Barn Inn, which was this thatched barn pub. And I would 
get very drunk and at the end of the night they would play um the b-52s rock not uh yeah rock lobster um would always end the evening and i would that, that sticks in my mind and so that was kind of I started buying B-52s because of that and discovering a bit more about them and their history. Um, and I remember one evening where I just, I was, yeah, I was, it was, it was, it was horrible and I was sick um, and I was with surfers a lot. So I started to have these, this group of friend of surfers in this place called Croyd where surfers go and uh, gravitate to. And a lot of the people that grew up there went, kind of it was a natural progression to progression to to become a surfer it was sort of nature's calling for them and so i started to hang around with surfers um and again it was not unpleasant on the eye and uh and they accepted me they kind of accepted other uh weirdos shall we say um into their fold and so I again was it was it was a brilliant time. Um, I had another friend called Gary who was into metal, and he introduced me to Led Zeppelin, and so I'm very grateful for that. And uh, and yeah, so they were two major players in my life. So thank you, gents, if you ever come across this podcast by any bizarre chance. Thank you very much, and I hope you're both well and happy. Um, sadly, lost touch with them as you do in life, and that's another thing I've learned. However, um, so that, that, that was a really good period of time. And then I left there and there was a period of uh, sort of what do I do next? And I knew I that the acting thing was there and the theatre studies had played out and I'd come out and I was now had some qualifications and things behind me and I was ready to to go. And I was a lot more driven. Um, but London really was calling London Calling, <laughs> The Clash, another band that I loved and still do. My partner and I, our first dance, I'm jumping way forward here, but uh, a lot of people who know me will tell you this, but our first dance ever was Rock the Casbah. How romantic by The Clash. And if you don't know it, Google it and look it up. Um, it's a great tune. I'm sure you know it. Everybody knows that song. Anyway. So yeah, happy times, um, thinking about being an actor. However, in the meantime, I had to earn some money and I needed to kind of have some money behind me because I'd obviously spent lots of money having a good time at college. And so I started searching in the papers and not long after that, luckily I discovered that there was uh, an advert for a puppeteer, a puppetry job for a puppeteer. And it said he didn't need to be trained in any way that training would be given. And I thought, I've, this is this is insane. I applied. I had the interview. It went well. They said they thought I was creative enough. I had enough imagination. And they told me that I would start very soon after that. And I'd be working with a guy called Raider Silver, who worked with Jim Henson and the Muppets, which was incredible. So I had this training. Um, and the, the place was, it was a kind of a theme park of sorts in an old abandoned station because as I say there were no stations between Ilfracombe and Barnstable so there was 13 miles of empty track and abandoned stations and somebody had the bright idea of turning this station into a into a, a an event to an a theme a theme park of such for for kids really um it's called Once Upon a Time and I don't believe it exists anymore but it was again a really good period of my life and made lots of friends there um and hello to anyone who's listening from that part of the world through my Facebook friends. Um, 
And I, so I trained. We learned to do a, a version of Jack and the Beanstalk with puppets. And that was my first foray into puppetry. Um, we learned to use, in that there was every kind of puppet. There were marionettes um, and handheld. I had a big giant handheld giant. I was below, our stage was mainly above us. And then from, we'd have to go in from below the stage or kind of from the side of the stage for the marionette stuff. Um, but this big giant, which was my favorite puppet. And then I played, it was Jack and the Beanstalk. I played Jack's mother. So that was the first time I played um, a woman <laughs> through a puppet. And eventually later in life, um, I have been for the last two Christmases playing Jack's mother in Panto as the dame, <laughs> which is another podcast entirely. Um, but yes, so had a great time, had this training, got jealous of the puppets. I'm jumping ahead a lot here. Got really jealous of the puppets and decided with the encouragement of other people around me that I should just apply for drama schools. So I started to get prospectuses of various schools and, um, but this one took my interest a lot because it seemed to fit my everything I was about, and it was called Aura, the Academy of Live and Recorded Arts. And eventually I did a get in and had a, a wonderful time, uh, some of the time. Um, we'll get there eventually and talk about that in more detail later down the line. But yes, so before I did get in there, I there was this period of working in as a, puppet, as a puppeteer. I also had a walking stage. I have to tell this story. I was also playing a 10-year-old girl in a walking stage, a 10-year-old Australian girl. I was given this puppet in this six-foot-tall walking stage that I was inside, left hand in head and body, right hand in arm, and I had to interact with the puppet in this walking stage. They couldn't see me, but they would talk to the character. And this guy, Ray De Silva, worked with me on creating a character. And th th this show called Neighbours... The Australian soap opera had just hit the UK and was massive and I think was playing twice a day at this point um, on the BBC um, and so Australian culture was huge at this point so I decided to to make her an Australian girl and call her Matilda oh how original um, <laughs> And anyway, she was really popular with the kids and the parents like, and I had lots of fun. Um, but yeah, it was a very strange experience, um, but she was she was loads of fun. Anyway, going back to the acting, I, I knew that, say, jealous of Matilda, that I wanted to move forward. And so I, I, I started to get information on drama schools and, and I started to sort of uh, I'd watched any television show that was about an art school, a stage school, and start to kind of get my head around the idea of being in that world. And because I had little experience, I'd had school drama as experience, and then obviously theatre studies at college, um, but I hadn't ever done any work as a child, uh, like professionally, um, and so I felt I was in a in a place that that I'd be with other people, my peers would be a lot more experienced. Turns out not necessarily the case. So anyway, um, I, I didn't jump in straight away, but I did know that I needed to be in London. So I said to my parents, what I'm going to do, I'm going to move. I'm going to go and live in Watford where we have family. So you'll know I'm safe if tragedy strikes that I have family nearby. 
Um, and so I moved to Watford. I said to my parents goodbye, and it was all very emotional, very sad. I was extremely excited. And I moved to Watford and said, I'm going to get a job, stay with my aunt and uncle, and got a job in a thing called the Reject Shop. It's another shop um, where, uh, so Rejects, where they'd have something that was on a production line that would have a recurring fault. So you could have 300 of the same thing with exactly the same fault, and they would sell it at cost price. Um, so I got a job there and it was reasonably well paid. It was in the center of the town and started that, saved a bit of money and got my first bedsit. Bedsit life began, which was a major part of my life. I don't think it, it really exists as much as it did anymore. Um, but again, bedsit life was again, a, a huge fun part of my life. Um, for those who don't know if, uh, bedsit, an explanation very briefly of a bedsit is just one room that has, uh, if you're lucky, has uh, a small kitchen uh, with, I had a, a baby belling cooker, um, uh, a table and chairs usually, and a bed and a cupboard. And that was kind of it. But And you'd dress it up. And mine were usually covered in posters of uh, musicians and films. Um, and so it was my first taste of being living alone. And Although daunting, it was exciting. And funnily enough, my first kind of sitting down and having a long conversation with another gay man was the guy who lived in the bedsit. We were both in uh, attic bedsits and the guy who lived in the attic bedsit next to me happened to be gay. And he was a fair bit older than me. I mean, maybe I say a fair bit, 10 years older than me. Um, his bedsit was a little bit more advanced than mine he had a bigger room and it was a lot of fancy stuff um and i was very impressed by him and we sat and talked for many evenings um and i'd just take a full pack of beer and sit in the room and he wasn't uh he didn't really go out on the scene he had friends in watford he told me about and occasionally he'd go to pride events but that was kind of it and this was just all new to me, but just even hearing people talk about pride events and going and being proud was just earth shattering. So the excitement levels were building. And so I had this period of my life and I don't want to delve into that too much because I was working. I was going into gigs because I could get on the tube from Watford or the train. I'd like to go on the tube because I felt like I was in London. Um, and I saw loads of bands. And of course, it was a lot cheaper just to go in um and gigs were a lot cheaper back in the day anyway. Um, and so I was living my life and having a great time and still trying to get the, I suppose, the confidence to go and just, so to, to be at, to, to apply for a drama school. Anyway, Alred stuck with me after all this time, still living in Watford, eventually applied and long story short, one Christmas when I was back in Devon, I found out that I had gotten into drama school. But I was going to start like a month later. No, it must have been before Christmas. So I, I think I'd go. Oh, no, I'd gone back for like a longer period. So I went back in, I think probably November. And I found out at the end of November. And I think I was starting in January. It was a January intake anyway. Um, and suddenly I was, that was happening and I was moving actually into London properly and I was going to drama school. Um, my audition, I still laughed this day because I talked about, they said, who are your, who are your heroes? And I mentioned one actor, Anthony Hopkins, 
and then talked at length about Kate Bush and Prince. And looking back, I'm amazed that they they thought that was suitable. Um, the auditions were fun and scary, and but it was a Saturday. It was like a whole day, I believe. Um, and then there did we? Have, I don't think there was even a recall. There wasn't. I just anyway got in and started drama school and. So I, I will I will talk more about that. And there were people at the drama school. Of course, there were a lot of, not of course, but there were a good few gay people in my year and throughout the school. And so I started to experience that side, actors who were gay um, and uh, some amazing flamboyant characters there who I will touch on later down the line. But anyway, that's another period and another conversation that I will come back to with guests talking about drama school and how that was part of their coming out but it definitely made a huge huge um impression on me and 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 helped massively and I still talk to people from Alra to this day and have some very good friends my oldest and best friend is uh is from that world and is going to be my best man when I get married next year. But that, again, is another podcast entirely. Uh, Yes, it's happening. (laughs) Which is all exciting. And we've got lots to organise. Goodness me. Um, But yes, so I was at drama school. But I'm going to jump a little head. A little head? I'm going to jump a little head. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead to... Uh, to going out and being so I, I Alra's in Wandsworth Wandsworth Common beautiful building the Royal Victoria Patriotic Building there's, there's another one in the north now as well um, so I was having my my actors my drama student life and learning a lot extremely quickly I mean just and I was in with a lot of people who had a lot more experience and some had done kind of more extensive work and theatre studies than I had and read and had read a lot more than I had so I was you know I was quite naive to a lot of things but I learnt and being around people who were a lot not a lot older a fair bit older um uh, and again, bedsits. And I shared a house with some drama students for a while, and then I shared a house with a group of girls. So we all had our own bedsits. That was exciting. Hello, you know who you are. Um, hello, Adele. I know you listen. And there, we'll, we'll talk about the, the, those days because they were brilliant. In another, say, I have plans to talk about that with somebody who's not long graduated from drama school, who's going to be a guest soon. So I want to talk about that then. Um, but yes, yeah, so. Living in Wandsworth, I was near um, Clapham. There was a there was a gay bar above. I think it was a dry cleaners in Ballam, and I used to pace up and down outside there. And then I'd go to Soho a lot. I'd been going to Soho whilst I was living in Watford, and I'd walk around and just nearly go in. And then no, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. It's silly, really, but. It's just the way it was, and it was a, it's a different time. Um, and also the, the, the fact in my mind that I'd get caught walking in, that someone would somehow take a picture and send it to my parents because I hadn't come out to my parents, as we discussed in another podcast earlier. Um, they said they knew when I was three, but I'd not officially said the words yet at this point. So, um, so I, but I, was, I started to do out things. So I went to the London Lesbian and Gay Centre for the first time 
in my life, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. It was in Farringdon. And I went there one afternoon. I had a free afternoon. And I went and I just sat and watched people. Uh, and it was less intimidating because it was kind of in a sort of an office looking building. But it had a games room and a bar and a library and it, it was there was you could go and pick books out i um gazed the word bookshop i discovered that as well and had was i found that easier to go in there um and browse and kind of again spend more time in a shop without really buying anything than i should just to kind of people watch a bit but then i did Say so I said to myself I needed to go out into the big world and go into a gay bar, a gay pub. Um, and because I'd always hear this music pumping from outside and think this sounds exactly like the sort of thing I need to be listening to. Um, and it sounded a little bit foreign, a little bit alien to me, but it excited me. The sound of, I suppose, late 80s, early 90s disco gay disco i suppose you'd call it high energy is really what it was as i later discovered high energy music um and so anyway i went to this place called the two brewers which still exists in clapham and in those days it now has big windows it's bright in the front of the building anyway and people come and go and it's very out there but back in the day you'd have to go down a side alley to get in there and knock on a door and a man would open a shutter and peer at you and give you the once over to check that you were, A, I suppose, not going to cause any trouble. You weren't there to cause trouble. And B, I don't know if there was a B, whether the B was, are you gay enough to go in? I don't know. Anyway, it happened. And the first time I remember going in and just smelling the sense of various colognes, shall we say, um, and uh, and every kind of gay person that you could imagine was in there every it was really mixed and i remember i think just seeing there were guys who were in in leather there were uh women who were um i remember seeing women in a dress like morrissey and thinking how cool she looked kind of in a check shirt and had a similar probably not soap in her hair but had a sort of flat top thing going on um and I just thought this is fascinating and amazing. And then, and then, very attractive guys, um, who I, of course, at this point was far too scared to speak to. Um, and uh, I saw what I'd do is I'd sit in a corner, I'd hide behind the pink paper, and kind of devour that, um, which was a a, a gay paper that doesn't exist anymore sadly i think it's still on no it's not even online anymore anyway i used to read that and um and a, and, a, and a and a paper called capital gay i used to sit and read those anyway cover to cover have a few beers and then i'd get up and dance after a few beers and i was really a one thing i always felt confident about was dancing not as in choreographed dancing still find that a bit awkward and it's always a tough call for me but anyway it gets i don't know gets easier the less i care i don't know but yes so freestyle just dancing in a club and i would go for it and made not long lasting friendships but i would make friends for the night and talk to people and uh and i felt 
kind of started to feel accepted. And so I would therefore go back again. I remember seeing Lily Savage, the drag queen Lily Savage, um, Paul O'Grady, uh, who who did a who did a show. I think that was the first time I saw him was at the Two Brewers. And just this raucous, dirty humour. And hadn't really seen it. I think I'd seen people like Bernard Manning, working class, um, working men's club performers on television and doing kind of dirty jokes and quite often racist and homophobic. This wasn't racist or homophobic, clearly. Um, But this this, this bawdy humour that just I was drawn in by. I would never go too close because I know they'd pick on people. I could see they'd start to, to pick on people at the front. Big big mistake I managed to avoid that most of my life and still do um, but yeah so the, it was just this new world to me and I was so grateful for uh, for for having the ability to be able to do this um, and I say and I went on a pride parade and I'm, I'm going to jump backwards and forwards but sort of not that far down the line after well it was I'd, I'd gone through drama school and then I uh, started to to work with a company in Fulham called The Lost Theatre, um, as they were now. They're now based in Vauxhall. Um, but I did a play called Another Country, and that was the first gay play I ever did. I also managed to work with them, and I did a production of Torch Song Trilogy, and I played Arnold. I was far too young at this point, at that point. I'm now a little bit too old. <laughs> but and and through that uh connections I uh managed to meet a playwright called Patrick Wilde who uh had written a play called What's Wrong with Angry. And that's actually for another podcast because that was another big moment of my life of being in a really very popular gay play uh at Battersea Arts Centre and Oval House and somewhere else as well Um, and just having a whale of a time and being part of teams groups of other people who were either gay or gay friendly fighting for the cause Um, but yeah so so things got better so from Devon to there um, we'll go back and touch on other things but anyway I just wanted to kind of fill you in I'm really excited that you're listening thank you so much um, I don't think there's much more I want to say on this one because I say there's a whole swathes of, of time stuff that I want to cover but really just to say that I suppose to sum up that it's tough sometimes life is tough and it goes in waves um, I, I, I do miss being part of a community uh, I feel like that is still lacking somewhat and I think that's partly my own fault because I think I could go out and find it a bit more and I need to be more proactive in that Um, and some people say there isn't a need for a scene but I still think there is and that's something we will touch on Um, but really definitely feel like I wish that there there were more I mean the, the other sad thing is that a lot of of pubs have closed down pubs and clubs have closed down um for various reasons and i I think that's very sad the black cap in camden one of my favorite haunts 
Um, I'm hoping that that might come back to life. But there, are, there's plenty of others that have gone. Earl's Court. I lived in Earl's Court for a while. That used to be super gay, and uh, I had some amazing times. I lived in that area. Um, again, we'll we'll talk about that again later. But just being able to walk down the street and go into a local gay pub, or five, as was the case in Earl's Court, pubs in Hammersmith nearby. It was it, you. You knew you'd recognise people from place to place. And some people would say, well, it was pub culture, it involved drinking a lot. and But you know what? I feel that it hasn't done me massive harm. Uh, I think if you can moderate that side of it, the kind of the party side of it, but just having the ability... For, I, I feel sad that uh, a young man doesn't have as many choices. Obviously, Compton Street and Vauxhall in London still exist, and there are gay hubs all around the world. Um, and in the last two years I've been to West Hollywood and clearly that area is thriving, thriving. Um, San Francisco, the Castro, I loved San Francisco. Um, that's where I met my partner and I love going there. But even some of the kind of outreaches of, of those places, it, it's gotten smaller. And we'll discuss why and if it needs to be when I talk to guests further down the line. But anyway... I'm going to sign off. Thank you so much for listening. Um, if you do have any questions, please feel free to contact me. Um, probably the easiest way is just to to drop me a tweet. Um, my handle is at Kelly Matt on Twitter. And then uh, Instagram is Matt Ian Kelly. You'll find me there. Um, and also, please, uh, if you've liked it, hopefully, drop me a review. Um, I believe it's not that simple to leave a review, but you can do it on SoundCloud uh, and there are ways of doing it on iTunes, but I believe it's quite long-winded. But if you can and you can figure it out, please, please review me. Um, if, you, if you haven't enjoyed it, yeah, keep it to yourself, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I will take whatever I receive. But anyway, um, please join me again very soon. Um, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode and to say questions, throw them at me and we'll speak really, really soon. Thanks. Thanks.